strange signals are continuing. Now the localization is sharper. 15 degrees Felgar coaxial alpha 90. Right. It's our sixth orbit around this planet, and that signal always comes from the same point. The man-made transmitter does exist. That's the spot, all right. Two more meteors. Yes, sir. I'll check on the total. Eldon, Tiona, Kel, we just rejected two more meteors. What's our total now? 999, Wes. One more, and I'll bake you a little birthday cake with a thousand candles. Without this rejector, we'd look like a piece of Swiss cheese. Our ship would be down in less than a minute. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We've got our next episode set up here as we're moving back into our regular schedule following our Christmas episodes. We uh, came in with Billy Jack, the strange tale of Billy Jack, uh, and we are following that up with Planet of the Vampires from 1965, directed by Mario Bava, Italian director. Um, before I get going, there will be a couple of things I'll note on this episode. But uh, right off the bat, I'll just ask you, Steve, uh, I'll explain in a moment, but like, do you know why I had you all watch this episode or this, this film? I realized it like probably halfway in because it, when you, you know, you kept it a secret and yeah. uh, when, you know, which you tend to do, which, for, you know, I like the entertainment. I like, I like your like... Uh, you know, circus, you know, entertainer kind of element to where it's like we got to solve puzzles and uh, go through all these sort of you know, solve these riddles three to find out what the movie is. Um, but so when it started, I was like, OK, Death gotta, traps are coming next, Stephen. I'm excited. And I, you know, so I'm always looking out for the reason uh, to why you pick me uh, for it or why you chose the movie. And about halfway through, I was like, you sly dog uh i'll i'll t i'll tee it up to right. you for the influence yeah. Okay. but yeah i very clearly knew all right well that's good I'm, I'm glad i'm glad you picked up on it i'm glad that you got it there so uh yeah basically i, I handpicked this panel um i knew at least two people on the panel are big fans of a certain thing and then a third member uh, of the panel i knew at least had seen the majority of them and you know uh, we regularly have him on so uh, so I handpicked this panel, and the idea behind it was they would be watching something they don't know about. I do that on occasion. I've shown, like, I've given, them, given people secret films where I don't tell them any information. I want them to go in as cold as possible. I don't even give them a title. Because if I give them a title, I might give them an indication. They might have heard something, or they start looking things up. It's easier if they just have a title, and I give them a file, and they watch it. And then it's like, oh, wait a second. Um, so I've done that on a couple different in a couple different ways and one way i've done is when like the movies are really bad uh the movie tiptoes i had everybody go in completely cold and not knowing what they're about to see and then uh this was one and i've done it a few other times and so there was a little bit of a miscommunication though there is a little bit of a wrench in the works for for tonight's episode so because this was going to be a secret film uh, I was reaching out to everyone and I was telling them that, you know, this the movie was a secret and I wasn't going to tell them, you know, they were going to find out later. So one of our members, Jason, uh, has been on a few of our episodes, but I don't think he's ever been part of like, you know, one of like the secret film kind of things. I have not. Yeah. And that's fine. And we're in like a Facebook chat 
And somewhere in there, he says, which a secret is this? And he capitalized a and secret, like making a joke, like there's some movie series called a secret. And I'm like, okay, we're fucking around in there. All right. So I responded with a link to IMDb uh, for the secret from 2006, like that schmaltzy, you know, change your life bullshit from the 2000s. (laughs) And uh, and I just did it as just a joke. We're we're joking around in here, and he goes, "Oh God, you said a secret, not the secret." And I said, "This is what you get after your sass." And I thought, "Oh, it's pretty clear that we're just joshing around." And I always send them emails with like, "All right, here's when we're gonna meet. Here's the movie," and I send them a link that they then download the movie, a file, the movie. So. I figure everything's good. We're fine. We joshed around a bit earlier. Then I get a text from Jason at about 5.55 today prior to (laughs) recording. And Jason says, uh, hey, buddy, I'm ready for the podcast, but I started to wonder. We were supposed to watch the BS self-help documentary The Secret, correct? And he had also (laughs) called me moments before this. And I was like, all right, he's either fucking with me or like, this is what it seems like. (laughs) And so I call him back and I'm like trying to figure out, all right, are you fucking around or is this legit? No, he watched the secret (laughs) believing that that's what I was having my panel do. He didn't excitedly believing it. might (laughs) Uh, He didn't download the link because he thought, oh, I can just find it. So that's what's happened. And then I told him, oh, well, no, I wanted you on this episode for like specific reasons because you're like a fan of this stuff. Um, So I believe, Jason, you have now done a speed run on the film. Is that correct? I did. I did a speed run, but luckily I was familiar with it already and just needed to like re-familiarize myself because of the subject matter or the thing it relates to. But um, I do think that a podcast on The Secret needs to happen now in particular (laughs) since i devoted an hour and 45 minutes of my life to watching something i adamantly hate so here's here's the thing by the end of this episode we're coming back to that and i want to hear your thoughts on the secret since you endured that for us we'll take a little detour and we'll have a little mini internal episode about the secret so this will be planet of the vampires slash the secret um (laughs) It's All right. bonus material. But that's uh, that's some preface for what's kind of going on here. So we have a little bit, uh, got a little bit of out of whack, um, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men and me due to uh, Jason and uh, jokes in Facebook Messenger. So uh, two of our guests have uh, fully seen the film, I believe. And then Jason <laughs> yes. has done a, a speed run on this. But back to Planet of the Vampires. It is a 1965 film directed by Mario Bava. He's an Italian director. He's mostly known as being a horror director. Some of his notable credits are Black Sunday, Black Sabbath, Blood and Black Lace, really big on the black titles. And he also did Danger Diabolic, which is a really corny, weird James Bond ripoff from the late 60s. It is probably most famous now because it is the final episode of Mystery Science Theater before they went off the air and then they came back on Netflix, you know, a few years ago. Um, But the final episode they ever recorded was Danger Diabolic. It's, I would say, one of their funniest and best episodes. They really wanted to kill it, I think, and it's great. I enjoy the hell out of it. So he directed that very, like, corny out there movie from the 60s, and he had, like, a lengthy career as well. 
But uh, this is from 65. It is an Italian and Spanish production. And just kind of as a frame of reference, it is very Flash Gordon, very Buck Rogers. But I would say it has a little bit more of an edge than, to, to it than that. But when you think of that sort of like ray guns and spaceships, when you have that imagery in your head or weird science, like covers of old weird science magazines, kind of like what science fiction was before Star Trek, before Star Wars, the kind of stuff that helped inspire Star Wars. This is very emblematic and seminal for that. And a lot of people uh, hail it in a lot of ways for things that it did. Uh, a lot of science fiction fans and like, um, you know, sci-fi creators and whatnot are fans of the film. I would be amazed if George Lucas has not at least seen it. I would think he probably enjoys it to some degree. Um, but then there's another very famous filmmaker that, uh, you know, has certainly uh, seen this film uh, on multiple occasions, I would say. Um, all right, but I will uh, we'll tease that out a little bit. We'll hold back on that just initially. Um, but so that's kind of some background. Um, there might be some other production things to go into. Cast, in terms of cast, there's nobody particularly famous. I think uh, they were um, actors from different countries and uh and i think you know they were all in like different projects over the years but i looked through their stuff and i didn't see any like major roles or or major films that jumped out at me so uh so you know i don't think there's anyone that most people would recognize uh but yeah we will jump into this i'll do some introductions here so uh joining us here uh with his speed run viewing of planet of the vampires is jason hey there hey Coming back once again, um, one of our uh, semi-regulars and uh, a man of many podcasts. He does uh, yes. Revenge of the Nineties <laughs> and uh, what's your uh, Cleveland uh, the oh the penal league? yeah Ca yeah California Penal League podcast yeah baseball based that's podcast. a movie reference yes of major <laughs> league I think um, mm -hmm. so uh, so Steve Steve is joining us once again hello I will say. You could do a speed run of this movie very easily because yes, that's what I told we'll, Jason. I was like, yeah, you can, you can like, do it. Yeah, there's <laughs> like did. there's sequences where you're like, yeah, I could go at like three times speed for this stretch. <laughs> I told him you're not gonna miss much with the dialogue. You're, you're gonna be okay. <laughs> All right, and yeah, uh, rejoining us here again, uh, we have our uh, our regular guest, uh, a man who has uh, still attains, still has the. The most podcast appearances, and and in fact, we uh, recently um, recorded an episode kind of ahead of this one for Ace in the Hole, and uh, and Jack was gloating in that episode about how she was on it and you were not, Eric. Uh, I believe "suck it, Eric" mm. or something was stated. So, mm. uh, welcome, Eric, and anything oh. to say to Jack? Well, she can suck it right back. <laughs> All right. Just increase my oh. lead yet again. Whole lot of sucking. <laughs> <laughs> all right kicking things off here um yeah not a whole lot of background stuff to share like i said there's one key reason that i uh called everybody or you know at least two of the members on for this one i do want to hold that back we won't like save it to the very end or anything because it's going to be something significant we'll dig into but let's hold it back for a little bit and talk about other aspects before that kind of elephant in the room so we will open up the floor. Any other things on the table? What do you make of Planet of the Vampires? Who's going? Who's not, going? Not terrible. 
not terrible. <laughs> Even on a speed run, not terrible. But uh, not the best. And you can see how maybe it, it influenced uh, quite a few other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I view it through the lens of like what it probably... I have to view it through the lens of not watching it in 2022 and think, what was this like in 1965? And then what was it like 5, 10, 15 years later for people who were young filmmakers making things with that as an influence? I think there's a lot to enjoy from it from that perspective. Uh, and and although like it's probably like 20 minutes too long, even at like an hour and 20 minutes, I would say... <laughs> <laughs> I would say there is a lot to like about it. I, I really think the production value is actually pretty astounding for this. I, I think um, the set design and like the color, the use of color and like um, like the ship design and stuff, it's all really pretty excellent. That, and you can see how it might have influenced, you know, Star Trek and other stuff beyond. But, um, you know, there's a, there, there is a lot of like, fun stuff to it for sure um i like that eric your screen name or your name in this chat is one of my favorite things about like star trek which is there's a moment in this movie where they say a bunch of gibberish when they're on the the captain says a bunch of gibberish on the bridge and i'll let you do the phrase but um that's one of my favorite things about like star trek and i have to assume like that might be part of it was like the idea that like I could say whatever I need to. I could make up a completely random thing to just get me to the next point of like this scene. And I always really appreciate that about Star Trek. And then I love what the captain says in this, uh, in the beginning of this movie. Which is 15 degrees Felgar coaxial alpha vacuum. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> I don't know what's, what it's referring to. Somebody presses a button, though. Somebody presses a button. I don't know. The whole it's the beginning where they're trying to get to the planet, and it's hard to see because the planet's coated in mist, and they they move something fifteen degrees Felcar coaxial alpha vacuum, and it works. It might just be their rant. It might just be their very basic space telescope that they have. They're it's like a whole bunch of like big words for this like very obvious just telescope that they have on the ship. (laughs) And I like their like meteor rejector. I think that's a cool. Oh yeah, that they have like I've never really thought about that as anything. Where like they had to have some sort of device that would to protect them from random yeah. space debris. Yeah, it's like okay, that makes some sense. Like a shield of some kind. Like that makes yeah. sense. I hope I hope like NASA and like <laughs> SpaceX is keeping that in mind for future deep space travel. True, but then I'm wondering how it works because it's a little console inside the ship that. <laughs> when it's on, the ship can oh. re- deflect meteors, but when it's yeah. not, it just gets destroyed by them. I don't. Yeah, they don't really go into enough detail of like the inner workings, but man, does it play a big role. <laughs> oh, it's the MacGuffin. It's that's yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so it's it's funny you talk about the the dialogue, like that kind of like spacey dialogue stuff, because that's always been a criticism of the actors the original actors for George Lucas's screenplays uh, when they were working on them. So I remember Harrison Ford has said this in some interviews, and I believe the idea is that he said it like to George Lucas's face back in the day, <laughs> which was, you can type this shit, but you can't read it. <laughs> like just that's, that the dialogue was just not natural sounding, and it was just like a lot of just like, 
space hokum and garbage. And then I remember, I just looked it up. Uh, Mark Hamill has said like a similar thing. And I, and I saw him like, this was maybe around the time when Disney acquired Star Wars. I saw like Hamill and Lucas were on a stage talking about stuff. And Hamill was kind of like fucking with Lucas a little bit. And it was kind of sweet to see because it's like, they've clearly been friends for like 40 years. And he's kind of like ribbing this guy that like the whole planet looks to as like Walt Disney. And yeah. he's just kind of like, yeah, George, you're kind of shitty dialogue. And like to Lucas's credit, he didn't get like petulant or shitty or pissed. He was like, just kind of giggling. Like, like, yeah, yeah, it happens. <laughs> um, and it made George Lucas a little more lovable, but there was one I've seen, uh, I've seen Mark Hamill in some interviews say this and he's, he's done it different places, but he says that, this line is like forever burned in his brain and he like begged Lucas to cut it because he just thought it was terrible, but he like had to memorize it. And so he just like, it's still there. So he's done like recent interviews where he'll still do it. And he says the line was, but we can't turn back. Fear is their greatest defense. I doubt if the actual security there is any greater than it was on Aqualine or Sullust. And what there is, is most likely directed toward a large scale assault. <laughs> it's like all one sentence. <laughs> Yeah, you can you can see where that goes off the rails in the prequels when it was Lucas directing it and not like a more seasoned director who was like, "All right, we got to make something of this fucking script." Yeah. And like, let's do it in like a real take or let let me like try and mold this performance. Yeah, it's uh that's where I, I I've always felt it goes it where it's plainly obvious where it was just like, "Yeah, no one's checking this." Well, and the really famous one, too, in terms of the dialogue, and it's not even like, a, oh, this dialogue is, like, convoluted or bad, but it's Empire Strikes Back. The original scripted stuff is Leia says, I love you, and Han Solo says, I know. Or, or sorry, sorry, Han Solo says, I love you, too, which is what a, like, what a nothing line that is. That means nothing. <laughs> That's just so empty. And they're on the set that day, and Harrison Ford, I think, just rightly is like, this is shit. Like I can't like Han wouldn't do that. Like, Han, right. like that's not who he is. And like this, that makes that moment nothing. And he came up with the, I know. And they're like, yeah, okay, let's go with that. And now it's just, you yeah. know, one of the most famous lines in star Wars, if not in film, like that exchange. There's um, also the, so yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's also uh, I, the one that I always think of is uh, at the in the beginning of New Hope where he's like, I was going to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Some power like, converters. None, <laughs> what is any of that? <laughs> and I, there's some, but I, 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 I don't know. I have a soft spot for the hokey space jargon. Yeah, I feel, I feel that way too. And I, especially when I know it's an old sci-fi movie and I'm kind of in that mode. And then I think that coupled with the, just the look of this movie made for a fun experience even if it was slow at times but yeah overall i enjoyed it um and i think there was some pretty cool stuff even from the beginning i think when the when they first are attempting to land on the planet and they just start attacking each other yeah um <laughs> which is we find out later that because of the villains and i guess we'll get into that but it, it kind of came out of nowhere for me because it was i had expected a lot slower upturn towards like the action and it was kind of an unexpected little thing at the beginning for for how little this movie costs to make it was it did look surprisingly good and one of the yeah. things i had i had read was that like and i guess this is a big thing but it only took 20 days to make the outfits i thought the outfits were awesome it was like one of the yeah. better things about it you know 
Yeah, the outfits, the the uh, all the like uh, you know astronauts or spacemen or whatever, they're all wearing these black leather jumpsuits with yellow trim, and they have like Dracula, like a Dracula cape <laughs> where it pops up in the back, but there's no cape, so it's just that little Dracula thing at the top. Yeah, and then sometimes they wear like like a swimming cap on their heads that's yeah. also black leather. And my question was. Are they in those leather jumpsuits just 24 hours a day, just <laughs> constantly sweating bullets? Because they never change into anything else. There's never sleep clothes, nope. nothing. They, no. uh, those outfits, too, Like I thought they were slightly uh, reminiscent of the X-Men outfits from like, yeah. the first okay. couple of X-Men. Yes! Yeah, yeah, that's what I, thought. I was thinking... I thought when they were wearing the yeah, I thought X Men at first, and then I also thought when they were wearing the little like swimming cap, I thought it looked like a different color of the kick ass costume. Mm. Yeah. It looked a lot like his. Yeah, and those, but like, yeah, I thought X Men too. And those and those high um sides that went up, I mean, like they covered their ears at some points and it was like, Wow, well, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> at all but no and at one point at one point like so the characters get possessed at different points um by this kind of alien entity or entities and at one point one of the characters i think is possessed or is fighting the possession and he just rips off that little like dracula like collar thing at the top and he just like throws it to the ground and i'm thinking like buddy that would have happened like day two of the trip like like there's no way everybody's walking around with that thing this whole time it's like a little hammock for your face well and if they are walking around it there's constantly uh it's it's going like this someone will say something and it's what what yeah what <laughs> every time you move it just like rubs against your ears and you can't yeah. Yeah, that's you can't, why they you, can't see, you can't see that because jason forgot that this is radio and not video <laughs> But uh, basically, he's doing the uh, Michael Keaton head turn from Batman <laughs> yeah. of, uh, of moving the shoulders. Speaking of uh, speaking uh, of, but being yeah, possessed. let's let's. let's... Oh, oh, I was, was going to say, say we should probably talk about the visuals and stuff since we already are kind of in there. Yeah, I, I could I could get into that. Uh, I was because I, I have a uh, I have something about uh, plot, but I think uh, it fits well enough. Um, no, I mean I think. Uh, like I said, the visuals, um, I, I'm probably the most impressive thing. I mean, I think, like, I read yeah. some reviews where, like, people were like, this is pretty seminal stuff when it comes to, like, sci-fi gore. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. I mean, the gore is pretty, like, ridiculous. <laughs> like, you have, like, the two guys who allegedly f- fought each other to death, and they had, like, a spot of blood on their forehead. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah, that's fine. Um, but I think, like, the landscaping is really fantastic mm-hmm. i think like uh like i said the ship design the like even the like uh you know bodiless sort of alien creature things that are sort of unexplained like kind of do that's kind of an interesting uh visual there because they're different colors and stuff and you kind of like get the sense of like what they are um and like some of the like horror elements to it are pretty good like i think some of the makeup is pretty good like when they show them as like you know possessed sort of like dead uh the undead yeah Yeah, it's pretty good i I mean like yeah yeah it's like uh like you said i mean it really feels like you you're watching like a science fiction pulp comic book or something like kind of jump off the page and and i think that's incredibly colorful 
Like the sets are really colors. There's just a lot of color utilized on this alien world. So it makes it look alien in that way. Um, but it also just looks really cool. Like it's just interesting to look at. You could just have some barren wasteland. It could all be gray or it could all be red like Mars or whatever. There's a lot of different colors. And there's like always this like fog that's kind of always on the ground. Um, there's colors of these different rocks, rock formations and stuff. Uh, also on the visuals and everything, so they used a lot of like camera tricks. A lot of stuff were, was done in camera. They didn't have the budget. I mean, this is all before CGI, obviously, but they didn't even have the budget to do compositional shots. So, for instance, I mean, think of like a more modern example was like the Rancor in Star Wars, where clearly Luke is being shot and then they shoot a puppet and then they put one on top of the other. And that's been done in, you know, all kinds of stuff. And um, going back to like War of the Worlds is another one where people are running through the city and you shoot them doing that. And then you shoot a spaceship flying through the city and stuff and you put that over top. So they didn't even have the budget to do that. So I think basically everything we see in camera, even when they're these long distance shots of like the characters are little and there's this big sweeping landscape it's all being done with miniatures. It's all being done with like mirrors. And then there's a process that I was unfamiliar with, but it's like the Schuften process. So basically it's like you shoot miniatures really close to a camera lens. And then you have your actors like really far away. And then you have like a hole or something in, in what you're shooting and so the yes. actors kind of like enter. I, I caught it one part. I was like, oh, that has to be what they're doing here. Yeah. But basically it's like, so that way the actors are interacting. They look like they're interacting with a set that's like enormous, but actually it's like a forced perspective thing. Um, and it's something that like movies from the 20s and 30s used to do a lot because they just didn't have anything else they could do to pull off these grand sweeping visuals. So like Metropolis and stuff. But these guys did it because they just didn't have the money for anything else. Yeah, yeah, I think I noticed that when they were when they were in the giant spaceship, um, and the two figures kind of walk in what looks like a giant room, but you really just like, um, it, it's just like they just stuck a couple traffic cones in the the field of view of the camera, and, and you know had a lot of crazy colors to make it look like a, a giant alien spaceship, and I thought that was really mm -hmm. really neat effect. Yeah, and they had like uh, like plastic rocks and stuff left over from another movie, and they use like mirrors and things to double some of them, so it looked like there would be more. And and the thing is, it's like it's all pretty convincing. I mean, like mm -hmm. at no point are you thinking you're not thinking this is Avatar. You're not like in a different landscape <laughs> and your brain is tricked. But in terms of like believing it as far as a movie goes, of like yeah, okay, they're on an alien world. All right, cool. Like, yeah. like it, it works the way that really like movies on mystery science theater don't when it's just like laughably yeah. bad. Like these are like, this is like shoestring budget territory, but they are like really making stuff happen. And some of that helps because it is helped by that. They have that fog as part of the planet so they can kind of hide a lot of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a good way to describe it. I would never say anything in this is laughably bad. For, for being like a science fiction movie from 1965 you know that's mm -hmm. like a lot of the time you watch a movie like that like an old science fiction movie and you're like this is terrible or like i can tell this or that and it's like this is very competent and like excellent at times the the only the only thing 
because uh, I just watched it like ten minutes ago, was the <laughs> the ray gun blasts. Some of those were a little off, but I mean, I yeah, I agree. Yeah, oh, that's probably why they waited eighty minutes into the movie to finally shoot one of those guns they had the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> they knew they weren't going to be able to pull it off very well. It was probably the majority of their budget of the two hundred thousand dollars were the ray gun blasts. I also thought the interior of the ships looked pretty cool. I was I mean, just going to say that. It's a very star original series Star Trek kind of way where it's, you know, it's it's not going to trick you into thinking, you know, it's it's not like a Star Trek movie where you're watching it and like, oh, this is like, I believe this is a spaceship. It's more of like a, you know, Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, like, yeah, that's a spaceship. All right. But like, there's just cool designs and it just like looks fun. Like, it's just a, it's just a fun atmosphere when it could just be kind of like blank walls like they Mm -hmm. they do try to like get lights in there they try to get weird shapes of like bizarre contraptions and devices so you're like all right yeah that stuff does something sci-fi sure (laughs) nice whole wall of buttons i always appreciate a giant (laughs) wall of buttons in a a movie which one of these buttons controls the felgar coaxial (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, all right. So visuals, I, I, I would argue that the visuals, I mean, you may have already said it, Steve, but I think the visuals are really probably the the biggest selling point of the film. I think uh, I think this is like a cool thing that you could throw on in the background of like a party or at a bar or something and just be like, oh, that, that looks cool. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you don't really need the dialogue most of the time. <laughs> No, there is a good monologue. The captain has the best monologue, really probably the best like scene of the movie when everybody's fighting each other and it's un- it's unexplained like what's going on. And uh the captain has like a moment to himself is like I think the I think this was after the oh, whole yeah. sh- other ship, the galliot had been found where they're all dead. Um and they come back to their ship and he's having like this uh captain's log moment where he's recording his thoughts and he like goes on and on, but he really delivers a great line where he's like, you know, he's like, I can't let the crew see me, but today now I am experiencing fear. And I think that was like a great line. And I certainly will be using that as a photo, as like a meme with the subtitle or the dubbing, because I think that's a great like little moment, but uh, cause I'm experiencing fear often these days, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I thought that was like really awesome sci-fi, uh, really awesome, like sci-fi writing. And like, uh, really was like one of the few moments character wise where I was like, Oh, this is really elevating this. Like that I'm buying this. Well, and he says like that, that he can't, he can't let the crew like see what he really thinks because he's trying to protect them. He's like, I can't let them know how dire our circumstances are. And it seems like basically there's no hope. Like he has to put on a good face. He has to keep them busy. And I agree with you. Yeah. Like that scene of any of them works probably the best. Cause it's like an actual character moment. Um, right. But my favorite bit of dialogue though is, is actually kind of me like just fucking with the movie in this part, just because like <laughs> I rewound it where I was like, wait a second, did I miss something? So I, I don't know. We've, we've been away from the ship at some point. I don't know if we were like, somebody was doing investigating or whatever. But at this point, the the main crew knows something's going on. They aren't sure. They've been attacking each other. They know there's some kind of weird thing happening on this planet. 
and we cut away from whatever we're at. We go back to the main ship, and the captain goes like, all right, everybody, stay calm. We we need to keep our heads. Yes. <laughs> and, like, in a normal movie, that would be fine because, like, what you would have would be, like, characters are, like, in the thick of an art. We cut back, and characters yeah. are arguing. They're, like, pissed at each other, and the captain just cuts through it all and says, stop. But either they didn't <laughs> film it right or they cut it wrong, but when we cut back – Literally, no one is talking. No, no one is arguing. <laughs> Everyone seems perfectly calm. So the captain's just like yelling at a room full of people standing around. And I'm just like, this is ludicrous. I love it. No, yeah, that moment. I think when that happened, I was watching it last night. Yeah, just same feeling. He was like, it cuts to him. It's not a word. He's just like, all right, everybody, calm down. We just gonna. And then I was just like, no one's saying anything. I like said it out loud. Like, there's literally, like, like a guy talking. standing in the background just, like, <laughs> leaning against the computer. Like, just looks, like, totally casual. Well, I think there were people sitting in that scene, too. So, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's just, they're all just, like, playing cards and eating. And he's just like, come on, everybody, calm down. There goes the well, captain the, the, again. The movie had a, a, had a couple instances of, like, really funny dialogue. And I wasn't sure if it was, like, a translation thing or... I was I don't know if it was intentional, but there's the scene where the female crew member touches the alien object and gets shocked. Do you remember that? Yeah. So she gets shocked, and the captain's like, uh, she goes, oh, I got a shock. And he goes, how? And she goes, by touching that. And then he touches it <laughs> and gets shocked. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> I don't believe you because you're a woman. But it, it seemed intentionally funny, but I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it was. Uh, it plays as hilarious. <laughs> well, maybe because a lot of times in these movies, the actors are all from different countries and just speaking their own well, no. language. They don't well, know what they're saying. No, that's. So. It's funny you say that. That actually is literally the case here. I was about ready to address yeah. it. So, um, according to Robert J. Skoktak, um, I, he was the writer, I guess. Uh, each cast member, quote, used their own native language on the set in many cases, not understanding what the other actors were saying. <laughs> Sullivan's lines were spoken in English, Bengel's lines in Portuguese, Eva Morandi's lines in Italian, and Angel Aranda's in Spanish. So all these different languages, and if you watch the movie, you can tell they're being dubbed, yeah. but at points, like, it does look like some of the characters are speaking English. So as I was watching, I was like, you know, I mean, this happens in spaghetti westerns and stuff, but I was watching and just thinking, like, are are some of these people actually speaking English and others aren't? I don't know what's going on. But, yeah, so that's what it was. They just had, like, this international cast of people who didn't speak English and just wa <laughs> wandering around in spacesuits. <laughs> I mean, something actually did shock her, and she just pointed at it, and he touched it. He didn't know what she was saying and got shocked, too. <laughs> and it's not part of the script. And then he says in, like, Swahili, like... You fucking monster, that shocks me. <laughs> it's kind of amazing that this all came to... That that makes it even more impressive that this is a, an actually, like, pretty good movie. The fact that you just had people... Nobody on set understood what the hell was going on. You, you forced all these people to dress up like fools for, like, a month straight and, like, make fake ray gun actions and stuff and, like, be like, yeah, these people are vampires and... Uh, the fact that, like, any of it plays <laughs> is pretty sweet. I mean, it could have been a like, absolute disaster otherwise, but it's like, that's well, kind of impressive. It, it's it's clear that they got him to do it with the black outfits. I mean, it, they're like, here's what you'll be wearing, and everyone was like, oh, yeah, I'm totally in. These 
outfits are the shit. And then <laughs> I'm looking for something that says daddy likes leather. You're looking for something that says leather daddy? Yeah. Oh, do you have that? So, uh, Steve, you had like a plot thing you wanted to go into. Oh, yeah. No, I just thought it was funny. You know, we're talking about the captain being kind of an unhinged maniac a little bit. And it reminded me of that scene in Anchorman when Ron Burgundy is doing that to the crew. Remember when he's telling everybody that we have to remain, that they ha- they can't all lose their heads <laughs> with Veronica in the first Anchorman and all of them are just standing there? Yeah. That's what that reminded me of. But this captain, uh, he, you know, I do question his, uh, I do question his, uh, you know, decision making because not only do they track track down a just like, unknown sound to an unknown planet with no real plan in place once they're there the thing that i always thought was funny that there were like 12 instances where the captain was like we're going into this you're gonna stay out here and guard and every time somebody was quote-unquote guarding they either got their ass killed or they were like something happened where they were like mysteriously disappeared (laughs) yeah where they had to like a lot of times it was the female characters that got you know yeah that happened all the time set out for a watch yeah <laughs> they got yeah, red shirted yeah everybody was getting red shirted why there's nothing strange with willie he just <laughs> mysteriously disappeared <laughs> yeah or like uh every guard had to like raise the alarm they had like their little wrist alarm and within like three seconds of him being outside it was like port three alarm and like they all had to run back outside so at no point did the captain be like i don't know man maybe we should all just stick together on this weird planet where we're all getting killed. <laughs> it's literally an alien planet, so anything is going to freak you out if you experience it. Right. Raising a lot of alarms. Another stray note that I missed there when I was talking about like the accents and stuff, or the the um, you know languages they were speaking. Barry Sullivan, who I think is the captain, I think, admitted that while dubbing his lines for the English version of the film, he wept in amazement over its visual quality. So, uh, so there's it. that. In 1965, that probably tracks. You're probably like, this is It this looks is really of, cool. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It really does. All right. So, um, yeah, anything else? I mean, there's not a whole other. We talked a bit, obviously, the visuals. We talked some of the dialogue and issues with dialogue. There's not a whole lot to dig into on character. The, the characters are just kind of pushed around. We don't really get clearly defined people or roles. It's not like, oh, this guy's the sleazy guy or this guy's the, you know, like strong, silent type. They're just kind of like fill in the blanks most yeah. of the time. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, I mean, so any other like kind of random parts that we want to comment on or like, I will say one part, which I totally forgot. I've seen this movie before. One part that I really like is near the end the captain is with some people and they like have a mission where they're trying to steal back the meteor rejector, which does fuck all. I don't know something. (laughs) It does some kind of sci-fi thing. They're trying to prevent the aliens from using it or whatever. And, uh, and they're trying to stop another guy from getting in their way. And that's when the captain pulls out his ray gun and he shoots it at the guy. And again, I forgot this, but he doesn't kill him because like the guy's been essentially these aliens are like kind of like formless and they take over people's bodies. So there's sort of this parasitic aspect to it. There's sort of this, like almost like they're a spirit form. Then they inhabit the humanoid form. 
this is still like a crewman, one of his crewmen. So he doesn't want to kill him. Um, so instead of doing that, he like fucking kneecaps him with a laser gun. He shoots him in the <laughs> knees with his space laser. And I was like, that's a pretty cool moment for 1965. I'll give him credit for that. Mm-hmm. I also think the only other character that I even thought was notable was Wes, the like young sort of, well, he was the meteor rejector guy, I think. Uh, but he's sort of like the young, yeah, he rejected all the meteors. Crew member. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes. Uh, and he's sort of that like young crew member, you know, plucky young crew member. And I think his, he really sells like his ending when he like goes to destroy the meteor rejector and he like hits it with like a, almost like a pickaxe kind of thing and he and it like yeah. blows up and he like f- like literally flings himself across the room and i always love that kind of i always love that about like older movies where it's very star before, trek very star trek and like before the concept of another cut and it's just a guy on a stage going like doing an action and then having to like fling himself across the room and like roll across the floor and it's a really long cut and i was i was i was proud of that i was proud of wes for doing that i thought yeah. that was a good moment i was like he, he i will say this electrocuted the, and dies yeah like i will actually say for as much of this movie sort of drags it parts throughout where it's a lot of just like hey what's going on on this planet i don't know and there's a lot of that and they're just kind of wandering around the end is pretty cool um i think yeah, it actually sticks the landing. Maybe one of the better parts yeah it sticks the yeah. landing yeah, um, yeah. Maybe we send uh, save talking about the ending here uh, after uh, we dig into our our main meaty course here. We're gonna be uh, looking at. But before that, any other stray things want to talk about? Just that it seemed a little bit like a zombie flick. Yeah. At parts, which I thought was really really yeah. great too. You know what I mean? I mean, I I'm a sucker for a good zombie movie, and uh, you know, not quite realizing what the you know the alien would be or aliens would be or whatever the villain would be um i was sort of surprised i think that's another really cool thing they were able to do with the budget because it's not like they had enough money to create some sort of you know creature or they would have done a really good job with two hundred thousand dollars but um the the zombie aspect i thought was really really cool i was like really well done well and maybe not the coming out of the plastic um the plastic wrap or whatever that they were in, that was a little, took me out of it a little bit. But other than that, it was great. So that one scene where there's sort of like a, I don't know, like a, a coffin type thing, sarcophagus outside that they're keeping these bodies in, and it's like a metal hatch. And so the zombie versions come out, and then later the like hero characters go to investigate to see if there are any bodies still in there. And like this, like plastic sheet pops out. Yeah. Was it like in the form of like a person, which is what I rewound it. Like it looked like basically like how you would think of like a a person wearing a a sheet as a ghost, but it wasn't a a sheet like that. It was like a plastic sheet. So it almost looked like a head and arms. Like they were trying to give the impression that maybe the like spiritual form of the alien was under that sheet. And then the sheet, like there was another shot and the sheet drops dead like to nothingness and i was like am i just imagining it like it it, was it just it was it just like that just happened to look like that and i'm jumping to it or was that clearly intended and then the alien spirit form like gets away 
I couldn't tell what that moment was. Well, wouldn't the alien spirit form be inside the body? I would think, point, but there or... were different aliens, so maybe like that was just one that was like underground or some shit. I don't know. Yeah. I just view. I think I just saw it as like a jump scare. I didn't really think of it because I okay. just thought it was actually hilarious because <laughs> it was hilarious that they opened up the lid to the thing and like they all got scared by the piece of plastic that was attached to it and it flew up and everybody yeah. like I, I thought it was just a jump scare yeah it looked like a like a vaguely humanoid form yeah to me. it did so I wondered yeah, it had if like the, if, an arm yeah i wondered if the filmmakers were intending it in some way but it also could have just been it's supposed to look like a humanoid form because that will fuck that will freak them out so i don't know um uh, another stray note is that apparently the original title for the movie was Planet of Terror while they were producing it, and they apparently had like 15 different titles they were considering. I frankly think Planet of Terror works better than Planet of the Vampires because these things are not actual vampires as yes. we know them to be. They are alien creatures. They are parasitic to a degree, obviously, but they don't drain anyone's blood. They aren't even presented as like evil in the way we think of like vampires they're basically just kind of opportunistic it's like you're our way out of here yeah um so like vampires kind of muddies the water um whereas planet of terror would not and i'm sure you could have landed on some better titles that just keep the sci-fi thing and don't bring in a completely unrelated monster like you could have just easily called this like planet of werewolves and it would have made as much sense <laughs> right. well i did i did read that uh one of the reasons they may have picked that was to capitalize on the vamp, the popular vampire films of the time that they thought okay. that might, you know, attract more viewers, which hopefully it did. But I like, yeah, I like I, the I idea that how successful this was. So I'm not sure. I like the idea though that you would just name your movie whatever the hell you wanted to just get somebody in the door and pay for it. <laughs> Oh, you like fucking vampires? All right, yeah, this movie's called Planet of the Vampires. Come on in. <laughs> the whole planet of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got as many as you can handle in here. Come on in. <laughs> I'm sure at least one of you has probably heard what you, the universal head honcho wanted to call Back to the Future. Mm -mm. No. Has anyone heard this story? It's a fun no. story, so we'll do it's a, a sidebar one. here. Um, yeah, so Back to the Future has was the title for Back to the Future, I think, for a long time. I don't know if they ever had any other, like, working title they're considering, but definitely when they were filming it, it was under the name Back to the Future. Obviously, it's a contradiction. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it does make sense within the context of the film because Marty has to go back to Doc's future. Doc delivers the line. It makes sense. It's playful, whatever. But the head of Universal was, like, Sid Sheinberg, who helped give Spielberg his start and stuff. And from what I understand, he was, like, really devoted to, like, filmmakers and things. So I think he was a good guy. But he just hated the title. He thought it was, like, dumb, a contradiction. It didn't work. And I don't know why. It's like, okay, so he hated the title. I don't know why he then didn't think it should be something, like, with time travel in it or time in it or something like that. For whatever reason he fixated on the fact that Marty dresses up in the fake Darth Vader thing to scare off George and thought it should be called Spaceman from Pluto. Um, <laughs> you know, to play off this like 50s vibe because Marty does that at one point in the movie, but obviously that has nothing to do with what happens in the movie. It's like one <laughs> yes. small scene and it doesn't convey time travel or anything. 
And so like Zemeckis gets this note from him and Zemeckis is a young director and he's like, well, this is clearly dog shit, but how do I tell the head of the studio that? (laughs) And so Spielberg very craftily and Spielberg was also like Scheinberg was like a big supporter of him. So Spielberg didn't want to like piss him off or offend him or anything. So Spielberg came up with a Jedi mind trick to get out of it. And he sent a memo to uh, Scheinberg saying like, oh, we got your memo about the title change uh, and we just all loved it. We thought it was just the funniest memo any of us have ever read. And it's like, it was a great joke, Sid. And he just like played it all up like that. Like it was clearly he was just fucking around. And so figuring that then Scheinberg would be too embarrassed to like push the matter. And he clearly was because it was never spoken of again. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big, that's a ballsy move. I like that, that you'd have to go yeah. to those lengths rather than just yeah. be like, ah, we don't really want to do that. <laughs> the, the, uh, the disappointment about that is that now there isn't a podcast where Linton, you're talking about one of your favorite movies and you're like, but the title Ugh, terrible, you know? <laughs> I mean, you never would have gotten, like, how, how like, Spaceman from Pluto 3 takes place in the in the 19th century. <laughs> it would have gotten really fucked up by the third movie. Spaceman from Pluto 3, back in the saddle. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, now we're talking. Um. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to... I would say, uh, speaking of other films, this movie has been very influential for uh, certain films, one or two in particular. I brought on two members of my panel who are big fans of uh, of the series. And then Eric, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure has seen a good number of them as well. Yes. But uh, Stephen, would you like to explain, uh, well, why don't you tell us the moment where something clicked for you? Because you said as you were watching it, it started to sink yes. in. So, <clears throat> so it, it, uh, <clears throat> I, I was <clears throat> about halfway through and, uh, the, the crew finds, forgive me if I get some plot details wrong. There were parts of it where I was. I don't I'm not I'm embarrassed yeah I'm embarrassed to admit I may have dozed a a few moments okay just a few but they come across the other like another alien ship in their uh, travels on this alien planet and uh, it actually I think is where there's that cool effect where they have like the miniature with the Mm -hmm. hole in like the thing and they're walking up to it I thought it was really cool Um, and they enter this big ship it's like a giant alien vessel and the moment that it clicks for me is when they sort of enter this main chamber um, and sitting at one of the or I can't remember if it's at, it's the one lying on the table or if it's like on the ground when they're like entering this chamber. There's a there's giant one outside, skeleton, uh, one outside on the ground and then one in the there's one in the chamber. So there's two. Oh, right. Because the captain makes a funny joke where. Again, he's sending, making somebody guard the entrance, and he's like, hey, if he moves, call me, which is like a really <laughs> weird joke because a lot of people are getting murdered on this planet. And it's like, yeah, it yeah, might. It's like, it could happen, buddy. And, well, the guy doesn't even respond like a joke. He's just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it might happen. So uh, there's that's that's where like I started to like – I'm like, oh, okay, like there's a big skeleton there. That's interesting. Um, but 
I guess it and and like so maybe it started to happen there, but it really took hold in the main chamber where there's another giant skeleton um on the like like dead on the table and they you know kind of very clearly the captain's like oh this must have been an old ancient race or something like that and that's like the the reason that it clicks is because the visuals are so similar to this movie we're teasing uh which is can i say it am i good okay uh it's uh very clearly the origins of like the space jockey uh from alien so uh they come across and uh prometheus as sort of like another uh influence but yeah really it's i mean it's so it's so similar in the fact that you've got these two uh people coming across another alien ship there's an there's an ancient life form that's a that something happened to this other this other ship that crash landed on this planet um and uh the the just body type looks so much like the space jockey from alien too. So it, it just becomes like, I mean, it's like insanely clear the through line from this scene where they come across a giant skeleton yeah. of another yeah, yeah. dead alien race to alien. And it's always very, it's very funny to me that Ridley Scott and Dan O'Bannon, who uh, co-wrote alien for like decades, were like, we've never seen that fucking movie. Don't talk to us about it. <laughs> and then right. like I read the piece of trivia that decades later, Dan O'Bannon, Dan O'Bannon would admit, I stole the giant skeleton from the planet of the vampires. That's the quote. Yes. <laughs> so, so like, so yeah. it, it, it clicks right there where, where, you know, and it's like in this giant sort of like dome, like main chamber of a ship, like everything about it is so abundantly clear. And so it was like, it was pretty awesome. I mean, and then you factor in, the plot device of these people are drawn to a planet in the first place by a signal at that. They they're like, Oh, this a, signal a is stationary signal too. Yeah. A distress signal that's stationary. This is very clearly something that we should go investigate. Um, which is, uh, is very similar to like, uh, Prometheus as well. So, um, it's, it's really well, cool to see alien. that. That's why they go down. Yeah, to that's true. Yeah. To four, two, six. Right. That's true. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So it's uh, it's cool. I don't know. I think it's just like really awesome to see that. I think it's even better that they like wouldn't admit it. But I think that it's great to see the. <laughs> the so uh, so yes, we have arrived at uh, kind of the big big reveal here. That so uh, I've done one of these before. It's what I refer to as a pre make. It is a movie that uh, clearly inspired a much more famous movie where the filmmakers were almost certainly just lifting whole cloth and getting away with it. And, you know, all great like filmmakers and writers and artists, like will take bits and pieces and steal and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, sometimes it's more egregious than others. Uh, the other one we looked at, Steve was also on that episode. We looked at secret of the Incas, which is a very obscure 1950s movie with Charlton Heston, which was very much the inspiration for Indiana Jones. Not nearly as good as Raiders of the Lost Ark, but uh, the like the visual of him in his costume is very, very close, near identical. 
there's a whole like map room scene there's some other things we talked about on that episode look up our episode on that where like things in future installments of the indiana jones series they could have been pulling from this movie again there's a real sleazeball fat sleazeball character that really seems like uh what's his name ray wise um steve the guy from the fourth one oh um winstone Ray Winstone. Ray Winstone. Yeah, Ray Winstone. yeah okay. Yeah. So Ray Winstone, like the, he's really similar to a character in yeah. the Secret of the Incas. So there's a lot of like roots uh, found in that one. And so, yeah, Planet of the Vampires is seen as being at the very least an inspiration for Alien, if I mean, not what Alien just outright ripped off to, I will say, <laughs> do much better. There's no question <laughs> Alien is a much better film. But. Yes. Uh, I, I So I do want to put it out there because, Steve, actually, you're the only one who watched this cold because Eric, I let in on it because he's not like a massive Alien fan. And then Jason was supposed to uh, be you know secretive of it, but I had to like tell him, like, okay, here's, here's the idea behind it. But I'll put it out to all three of you. There's obviously the alien, uh, the dead alien, which I did love when they knock the giant alien skeleton and it smashes to the ground. I thought that was a pretty cool yeah. old movie moment. Um, so there's that, there's a distress signal, but anything else that you guys picked up on for similarities to alien, because I was looking for stuff and then I looked up some videos and read some stuff just to see like, all right, I don't watch alien regularly. It's great. I'm not watching these movies side by side. So for people who have, who know alien inside out, people who've watched them back to back, what are things I'm missing? So I did find a good deal, but I'm curious, before I go into mine, what else you guys picked up on? Well, one of the things that I caught, like I was lucky enough to catch in my speed through of it, was uh, like almost a shot for shot where they're going to the alien ship and you can see it up on the ridge. Yes. And that's exact. It's like one of my favorite scenes from Alien, where they're, you kind of see the ship for the, the alien, the derelict alien ship for the first time, and like the planet is very foggy. Uh, it would, another similarity. I mean, there are a few similarities, like right there in a row. And, and, and the shot itself of them walking up there, I think there are three people in both. Is there not? I can't remember. Probably, I'm not sure. So there's that whole. Uh, some, I mean, it looks like it's shot for shot. Yeah, the uh, the fog is one aspect because Steve, what's the planet in Alien called? Is it LV? It's LV four two six. Yeah. Yep. So that uh, that has a bunch of fog on the ground, and there's also a bunch of jutting rock formations on that planet. Yeah. Um, they look much more realistic than this movie, but it's it's a very similar landscape. It's just like you took this movie and just made it look better and more believable. Yeah, I thought the. I mean, now that I'm like thinking, I, you know, after knowing that about halfway through, I started to think about elements of the movie, and now. I'm jogging my memory a couple things were like i guess like the ship the ship design and sort of it's like dark shadows i don't know how much of that would have really played much of an influence in like the sort of like bowels of the the ship um the nostromo i I don't know if that would have played much of a role in it uh other than like maybe just sort of like like oh you could make the ship sort of a horror element in itself um i I don't know if like maybe that Mm -hmm. had anything to do with it but i thought the ray gun uh the captain holds it with like there's like two places where he like holds it he's got like the trigger and then there's like a little like stabilizing 
handle and the front. Okay. And yeah. that reminded me of like the pulse rifle, uh, not just from okay. Aliens, but there's also a like pulse rifle in Alien Covenant, which of course was Ridley Scott too. So I wonder if like maybe there was still. Yeah. I, I and I can't remember the weapons from Alien off the top of my head because I don't. There really weren't a ton because it wasn't really about. I don't think they so had any like, rig. I don't think they had the any ray one, guns the because they because they would have the they could have taken it out a lot easier. Right, exactly. Uh, and I don't can't remember if the flamethrower had like two handles, but the uh, the pulse rifle and the and the alien the gun and covenant did probably something in uh, Prometheus too. The other thing about Prometheus is that the costume design felt similar a bit to this because oh. there oh, is it's a sequence for sure. For sure, it's jacked. Like they, this, um, there's moments in this where they actually, where they go out into the atmosphere and they're like, "Hey, we should get our helmets." And they're like these, like real, like almost like kind of form fitting little yellow helmets with like the the garb that they had on the the hot leather outfits. And uh, it is very similar to Prometheus. Like Prometheus has like a very like retro look to it in its costume design and i have to imagine it was pulling from those well yeah i mentioned at the top that the uh the outfits that these characters wear it's like black leather with a kind of weird collar thing and then the like swimming cap thing and then they have this like yellow trim that runs along seams and stuff of their costume it's the only thing that really pops out and jason compared it to the uh the original x-men movies and how they looked but yeah, if you look up costumes for the movie Prometheus, like the main spacesuits they wear, they wear black and blue leather-looking costumes. It's more form-fitting, and it looks better, but they look leatherish, and they have yellow line trim all over that thing. And there's no way. That can't be fucking... With the connection this, the, this movie had to the original Alien... Either Ridley Scott or the costume designer decided on that. Whatever the case may be, that's intentional. Prometheus is basically, you could argue, a remake of this movie in a way. Like, if he didn't shoehorn in the the xenomorph at the end, you, you could almost argue that this was, like, almost, almost, like, his sort of remake with, like, some creative liberties taken on, like, plot it's almost the exact same movie. Mm-hmm. It was just like, okay, that would be, that would have been cooler <laughs> if, if he had been like, yeah, I'm going to remake this thing and I'm going to kind of like redo it. That would have been a cooler thing than trying to like force feed it into the alien universe. But that's a, we can yeah. Talk about that another day. Well, just real quick, just because I view alien as a masterpiece, I was totally fine with the theft you know, like I was like, it was so clear to me. It seemed so clearly uh, that um, he took from the Planet of the Vampires. I just didn't care. I was like, oh, at least he did everything <laughs> perfectly. Everything was perfect. Uh, but here's a question, though, because I, again, I sped through the movie. Was there only two women? Yes. On the crew? People, there's people only... have pointed that one out, too. Okay. All right. So I am. Okay. So that's an, that's another like that and the uh, alien ships I think were somewhat similar in design. I mean it it is like yeah. I'm sure there's like a checklist 
of the 30 things that he took from this movie. Yeah, so the the crews of both are primarily men in Alien and in this film, and then there's two women, so people have noted that similarity. And then, um, yeah, we've kind of danced around the ship design, but the main ship that our characters are in that lands, Jason alluded to there's a shot where it's like up on kind of like a you see it like on a ridge or something and it's if you look at side by side compared which i've seen it it's virtually identical to the shot of seeing the derelict which is the name given to the space jockey ship that they find um not only is the shot the same the ship design is fucking identical the the spaceship in this is basically shaped like a horseshoe it's a horseshoe that has prongs going forward so like if you were flying the like points would be going forward that's the exact same design of the derelict now the derelict obviously looks more advanced it looks better it's bet they had more money you know all that kind of stuff but it's one to one it's it's the same fucking thing so like there's just so many uh aspects that uh get checked off on this so i have a few others but if you guys have anything else i can uh, i can wait I'm sure had I seen it all the way through, I would have all of them, but alas, That's cool. I did not. So, the other ones that I noted were, uh, we have scenes where crew members attack each other. It's not set up exactly the same way, but we also have that with Ash attacking and being attacked by crew members in the Nostromo. Yeah. Um, we have an <laughs> alien life form inhabiting humans which is what the xenomorphs do. Now, they aren't spirit entities, obviously. They actually are physically put, like, implant the, uh, the chest burster into them. But it's still like they're using their bodies as a host for themselves. Um, in this movie, they don't remember after they've kind of been, like, woken up out of it. And it's been a while since I saw Alien. But doesn't John Hurt, when he comes to, basically doesn't remember what happened with the alien egg? Isn't he kind of, like, amnesiatic or something? Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 And I think he mentioned something about, like, having strange dreams or something. I can't Yeah, I can't yeah. No, he, totally. yeah, he does. Um, so there's that. We have uh, a crewman who is comatose on a table and comes back, which you have Kane laying on the table they don't know if he's going to live or die. He's in a coma. He's got the face hugger on him. Eventually the face hugger gets off and then he's like back and revived and he's okay until the dinner scene. Um, so it's similar. Like you have a guy on a table who is like effectively dead, but then he returns from the dead because he's been overtaken by one of these entities. You have these long cylindrical tunnels, which the characters walk through. So when uh, when the captain and one of the women go to investigate the giant skeleton, they walk through this big circle tunnel. And that's one of the big main shots in the original Alien, like when I think John Hurt is going to the egg room, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Somewhere in there, they're walking through a big circle tunnel and it's like, it's on like DVD covers and shit. It's one of the yeah. you know key moments. Um, and let me see if there's anything else. And then, uh, I'll throw this one out here, but it's also been said that the movie it, the terror beyond space is often seen as an influence as well. I don't think to the level of this one, but that actually did feature a physical creature like 
stowing away on a spaceship or something. So um, I saw it years ago and it wasn't very good. But um, so that's another one if you're interested in these kind of roots. Hmm. And then the ending of this actually, I will argue, has some similarities to the original ending of Alien before they changed like the original script did, but we can wait on that in a second. And then the other thing I'll throw out is apparently James Wan has said that this movie has strongly influenced the upcoming Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. So I guess he will be like yeah. pulling from the visuals or something for for that movie from this. That intrigues me. Will that get you amped up for Aquaman, Linton? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll still watch it on DVD because I watch all of the comic book movies eventually, but I don't want to give them money for it. <laughs> I know <laughs> I know you loved Aquaman, Steve. I know. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I will say, yes. I I uh I enjoy I will say this. I enjoy a lot of the DC movies on the same level that I do a lot of the Marvel. I think the that uh, that's my <laughs> I think that's my grotesque take. Eric is hot take. Yeah, Eric is, is, is very bothered by that statement. <laughs> the best, I would I would say the best Marvel movies, the best that the MCU has is far and away, far and away better than anything DC can do. But I think like on just like the, just like sort of like putting some of the like middle tier stuff together. I'm like, I could, I enjoy both of them on the same level. I, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I, I enjoy some of the recent DC stuff. If we're talking like the recent, you know, the, the current DC universe stuff and not going into like Burton and Nolan or whatever. Um, I, I want them to be good. I'm just very disappointed that Warner Brothers doesn't seem to know what the hell they're doing. Um, but there are ones I've liked both Wonder Woman movies and I thought Shazam was incredibly fun. Mm -hmm. Shazam might, might be my favorite that they've done of the like more recent ones. I would agree with that a hundred percent. But yeah, anything else we want to throw out? I know we were saving the ending. We'll talk about that here just momentarily, but anything else on this alien connection from uh, anyone, including our big alien fanboys? Well, I not necessarily on alien, but um, I did read that John Carpenter was uh, like verbally has said that, the director of Planet of the Vampires is like a huge influence, which I thought was really neat. That oh, okay. He's he's openly said, like, <laughs> yeah, like I, I fucking love this guy, and you know he's one of my inspirations. But fucking the writer and director of Alien, they just tried to just squash any association. <laughs> so it's very strange. Well, you also I did feel the, like uh, a... oh, well, I'll just sorry, just real quick, I. Yeah. There's also the thing of like James Cameron just openly admitting in a magazine article years ago that he stole the idea from ter for Terminator from Harlan Ellison and Harlan Ellison was famously litigious and yeah. so took him to court and won because it was fucking in print like Cameron's <laughs> quote I believe was they asked him about like oh where'd you get the idea for this he's like oh I just ripped off a couple of uh, Harlan Ellison Outer Limits episodes and like he said it flippantly, I guess, but there's definite there's definitely like roots there that he pulled from. Harlan Ellison's like, well, fuck you, I'm getting my money. And now, if you watch if you watch the original Terminator and probably later ones might say it, but at least the original, it says like inspired by the works of Harlan Ellison in the credits because he won the court case, 
Um, so, huh. uh, so, so that could be part of it. Like Ridley, this is before any of that happened, but Ridley Scott could have been like, Planet of the Vampires, never heard of it. What are you speaking of? <laughs> uh, Aaron, yeah, a movie that came out like less than 10 years ago. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just going to say when I was watching this movie, um, most of the, I mean, it seems like a, a lot of the setup is stuff that Alien took, but then like most of the action to me felt more like the thing than Alien. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, Alec John Carpenter's saying that he had influences. Like, okay, that makes a lot of sense because. Well, yeah. Well, there's there's an element where throughout this movie of you don't know who to trust. The char- yeah, exactly. the characters don't know who could be possessed. They don't know if people are have been taken over, or could be taken over, and it's an invisible enemy. Uh, we see lights like at some point, and then. At one point, when one of the characters is taken over, the alien speaks through him to kind of explain. It's like, oh, this our planet is dying, our sun is dying, so you're our way out of here. And then they ask about the giant alien bones, and they're like, yeah, we tried before, and it didn't work, but uh, it's going to work this time. Take us <laughs> home. Get us out of here. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're looking to escape. Uh, is is the goal of the characters, but we don't find that out until way late. But yeah, let's uh, let's dig into the ending. I think you had some stuff on that, uh, Steve. Yeah, I, I I just thought that this movie really stuck its landing. I, I thought that was a fun. It's a fun twist in that, uh, Wes. So so bi- the the big twist sort of uh, at the end is that you find out that the it's the captain and the other woman are both possessed by these aliens. And the only person who's still human is Wes. So now the ship has left the planet and you've got Wes and the two aliens and they, um, they're like, Hey, we're going to go, I don't know, repopulate our, our race uh, somewhere else. And Wes is like the hell you will. And so he, runs into the meteor rejector room and destroys the meteor rejector thinking that that would destroy both the ship and them. And he's like going to sacrifice himself, uh, which he does. And it's all in vain because uh, the two, the captain and the is Tiana. I can't remember. No, it's not her. It's the other one. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. They're like, they're like, we better get the hell. We better get one the of the skirts. <laughs> one of these broads. Uh, she. Uh, they're they're like, well, we better get to the nearest planet because uh, we got to get the hell out of space because you know we're gonna get killed by a meteor. And then the fun twist is that they're like, hey, here's a planet, and you you learn that it's Earth, and they look in on it and they're like, oh yes, this is a very primitive planet, and it's like eyeing like very dirty '60s New York. Like just disgusting, gross smog and all this yeah. stuff. <laughs> they're like, so they're like, "All right, yeah." They're we'll, still we'll head using down there. stone to make their buildings. <laughs> they're iron and stone. So you know, that's the. I thought that was like a really fun, like Twilight Zoney. It's very Twilight Zone. To it. Twilight yes. Zone had a yeah. lot of those kind of endings. Yeah, I guess like like when the movie ended, my girlfriend literally just like said, "This was like a long episode of Twilight Zone." 
Exactly. And that's why... I was I, like, yeah, I'm sure it might have worked better as a 30 to 40 minute episode of Twilight Zone. Exactly. <laughs> so, so one thing that struck me weird about that is like, so when the aliens inhabit the people, the people are still like themselves. They're just kind of like basically clouded. Like the, the, the aliens say, you're still you. We're just sort of there as well and kind of like kind of piloting them, but they still like know yeah. their language and they all this stuff. So that implied to me that characters we've been following actually aren't from earth that's what exactly. i think yeah like we yeah, we would, exactly, we would yeah. be assuming like watching the movie that these human characters are like from earth 300 years from now but then the implication is oh no these are just humanoid aliens from some other world because because the way the characters talk is not like oh we'll go back to earth where we're from it's right, like yeah. this this minuscule planet of these <laughs> you know yeah, that yeah, I missed that point. Is that the the twist is that these aren't actually Earthlings who had gone into space in the future. Yeah, it's it's some other advanced race of aliens. And at the end of the movie, the yeah aliens are heading down to what is a, a primitive uh, planet in Earth. So it's, there's I guess there's actually no telling what would happen if they were to take a human form because it didn't work with like that other race and it just worked perfectly with this sort of like crew that we're following. Maybe it turns people into superhumans. I don't know. Maybe that's where, maybe that's the Genesis. Well, maybe of uh, since, <laughs> since when these, when this race of people was just turned violent toward each other, they'll just go down to earth and pretty much the same thing will happen. <laughs> They're just, I'll beat they'll the shit out of each right other. In. Right. You know, perfectly. <laughs> no one will know. Yeah. Right. Waka waka. <laughs> We're awful. <laughs> um, yeah, so so there's a couple of things that I, uh, other than the, like, Twilight Zone and the fact that aspects of it and that they're not Earthlings themselves. On this second viewing, it made me think of The Thing. So not just the body swapping stuff before that, but at the end of The Thing is this bleak ending of you're thinking that Childs likely is a thing that it could be Kurt Russell, but come on, it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, you know, there, there's a good chance Childs is a thing, or even if he's not, neither one of them trust each other and they're just this, like, locked in this kind of stalemate. Um, but here, so it's, it's a similar kind of bleak ending, which I would say is fairly rare even for 65. Um, you didn't have a whole lot of movies ending in that kind of way where it's not like, oh, all's well that ends well. We we took care of the aliens. Like, you know, it, it ends on right. like a very dark note. Um, it's also similar to both the 50s and 70s versions of Invasion of the Body Snatchers because in the 50s version, the guy's girlfriend uh, gets taken over and so then she turns and there's kind of like this bleak ending that they basically undercut with him running through the town and like we're gonna save the day bullshit um but then the 70s one goes even bleaker with uh donald sutherland's famous thing where he's uh (coughs) fucking up my voice there uh (laughs) where he's pointing and screeching to all the other aliens because he's been turned but the one i alluded to earlier of how i think this may have also impacted alien I've read this before. I think it's legit. Our alien uh, experts can correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe an original version of the script, like probably before they even actually started shooting, but in an original version of the script, Ripley dies. 
and the alien is sitting at the controls calling back to earth and mm-hmm. it uses ripley's voice like that the, like aliens the alien is headed to earth and like basically it, it would have kind of it, it obviously pushes it in a different direction now the alien has like an intelligence that we didn't know about so they probably pulled it back because it's like oh we like it better if it's like just like a fucking tiger that's murdering everyone yeah. but um but i i've read that before that supposedly that was the ending huh at some script stage that she would have died and the alien is like like we would have had a pan shot where like maybe you think she killed it but then you and you hear her voice like like talking to mother or talking back to earth or whatever and then you see that it's actually the alien creature imitating her and so that's if that's if that was real they could have been pulling that idea from this as well interesting uh i've never heard that i've never heard that i i could see that being true because like every alien script moving forward all the early stages of every alien alien sequel script was like how do we get their asses back to earth like every single script was always like oh i don't know they go back to earth because like i think they wanted to do something at some point they wanted to do a movie on earth with these characters so yeah i could i'd I'd buy it i'm glad they didn't do that but i could buy it yeah i too had had heard that but i don't know i mean i have no idea how i i how accurate it is but you're right on they they always wanted to take it back to earth and they didn't which is odd because that had been like the less expensive version of it i feel like um oh they did kind of do it with the alien versus predator yeah movies, as about to say both of them. which was yeah. were terrible but uh, yeah anyway. i well, will don't defend they... the first alien versus predator but the second one is really bad they're terrible <laughs> yeah they, i agree jason with you, you got to approach it from a different way they are not they are not alien they are not aliens they are not classy upscale sci-fi and and no one should ever compare them to that what they are is they are comic book movies come to life and if you look at them as a movie where aliens fight predators the first one it's very fun it could be better but it's fun the second one was just worthless but if you're approaching it from this has to top james cameron's aliens then yeah it's it's always going to be a disappointment you know, uh, perhaps you've got a good point. Not perhaps. That, that, that all good <laughs> thank, points. Thank, thank but, you, Jason. Uh, you're welcome. But I also came at it from like there were Dark Horse had put out some comics yeah. back in the '90s, which I think were phenomenal. That they could have. I mean, there's your source material right there. Um, they could have done some really good stuff with it. They just chose to take it in like a, a, as you said, a fun direction, which is not exactly what I wanted in an Alien versus Predator. I wanted it to be a little more darker. You know, sure. And Don't it was PG thirteen. Yeah, I, I think in Alien Resurrection they end up on Earth at the end. Her and uh, Call. So the the they Android... they kind of they kind of yeah. do in the original cut. They're the cut released in theaters. They're like headed toward Earth, and the ship's about ready to land, like it's coming into the atmosphere. And then they did a director's cut or extended cut, which I had never seen until a few months ago, and on that they actually land and they're in Paris and basically the world is just a gigantic dumpster. Like it's just trash. Yeah. They reference that in the movie where they're like, we're going to go back to earth. And the characters are like, who wants to go to earth? That place sucks. Like it's like a joke. And then Wally shows up just 
doing his job in the uh, in the background. <laughs> Which now and then that, he falls in now love that, with the call. Yeah. <laughs> now that they own the property, I mean, who would have that? Yeah, exactly. Twenty-eight-year-old <laughs> you know, Winona Ryder, come on. With that, uh, that um, you know, potential ending for the original Alien. That might. Uh, I had also heard that that was uh, an instance where a studio exec had threatened to fire uh, um, the director over it. I don't know if it's the director or the writer. I can't remember unless they changed the ending. And if that's true, that'll be one of the few times I feel like that the studio execs may have gotten it right. But again, I have no idea if it's true. It's entirely possible that this is like internet rumor that's just gotten passed around a lot. So I don't want to state it as fact. And I do have a couple of books on the the making of Alien and the making of Aliens. It's by the same guy. uh, His name is escaping me. uh, Rinsler. Rinsler, who did the... He did three books for the original Star Wars trilogy. He did some other Star Wars books. He did an Indiana Jones book. He did um, several others. He was working on one for The Shining before he died recently. But uh, I have those with all the stuff I read. I just haven't had a chance to do it. So I'm curious if maybe they talk about it in there because he would be like digging up those kind of stories if they are legit. Well, anyway, so this movie clearly has tons of connections to the original Alien and then at least some to Prometheus, possibly to other entries in the series. Like Steve mentioned, Alien Covenant, which was also directed by Ridley Scott. So, I mean, all three we've mentioned are Scott films compared to, like, Aliens, Alien 3, Alien Resurrection, and the, um, you know, Alien vs. Predator ones. So more likely anyone that any of them would have the Planet of Vampires connection are going to be the ones under Ridley Scott. And, you know, then eventually Dan O'Bannon just came out and said, yeah, we fucking ripped it off. So maybe at this point, Ridley Scott's just like, ah, sure, fuck it. Put them in those costumes. I don't care. Give give them those give them those cape things in the back. Ah, Whatever. Um, All right. So we will uh, wrap up here shortly. But first, as promised, Jason, anything you want to reveal to us on the secret? Uh, How do we change our lives for the better, Jason? You know how to do it. Yeah, you just have to think positively. If you think and visualize uh, checks coming in the mail, guess what, guys? They'll come in the mail. That's the answer to wealth inequality is the fact that, you know, like Somalians, they're just not thinking positively. You know what I mean? So it's all about that positivity. And I will say that uh, watching this was is now, like, doubly terrible. It's triggering because I worked at a bookstore when that book came out. So I had to deal with the ridiculousness of having to sell that book and talk to people about that book and people tell me how great the book was um and then fast forward 20 years i'm now mistakenly watching the documentary (laughs) all the way through taking notes ready to talk about it and uh just to find out an hour before that it wasn't what what is the documentary like i i mean for anyone who is unfamiliar or don't remember yeah the secret was just and maybe it's Maybe they even still do stuff with it. I don't know if, like, they're still websites or they sell shit anymore. But basically, yeah, it was this, like, self-help thing of, like, 
self-actualization. I remember when it came out and just looking at it, like seeing what it was at the time and just being immediately like, this is just the most obvious load of bullshit I've ever heard in my life. But yeah, it was basically just wishing. It was like, well, if you, yeah. if you wish for good things and if you <laughs> wish hard enough, good things will happen. Well, well, nothing happened for me. You just weren't wishing hard enough. That's you, know, the, you know where they, that's the Kafka trap. They, they take it's it a step million. farther in that, like they're literally saying that it's not wishing for better things. It's like, Hey, you know that Ferrari you want? You gotta really want it, or you're like, you know, all that money or that house—it's all materialistic stuff. So it's like you have yeah. to want those things. Well, that's but that's what's confusing to me because, like, wow, I would say it, it would be hard to figure out how there's an entire fucking book around that. I'm like, at, at least that I can wrap my head around of like, oh, it's like a fucking self-help seminar, or they're just like saying a bunch of, or it's like that Simpsons line, Eric, of like, he's just uh, saying a bunch of empty platitudes and how. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's giving easy answers. But, but what? How is it? Is it actually a documentary, or are they just interviewing people yeah. who are just saying like, I love the secret. The secret gave me a pool. Like, what is so, it? So <laughs> it's all of that. It's all of that. So what they they basically did is they. They like got like fifteen people whose credentials are never verified, except for the two <laughs> physicists who are like in their fields universally despised. Yeah. Like they'll they'll bring up somebody that it'll say this guy's a philosopher, and if you look him up, he's got no philosophy degree. He just calls himself a philosopher. There's like ten ten authors. There's visionaries and entrepreneurs. It's it's just wild, and they throw like ten different quotes from old dead guys that were really smart, and it's all anecdotal, and it's really funny. I mean, it would be funny if it wasn't so offensive. So, yeah, there you go. But so it's a it's an hour and forty five minutes of everything I just told you repeated. Wow, they just keep repeating it. Uh, um, I, and I think real quick, the most hysterical one is one of the main guys that they're interviewing, getting all this anecdotal stuff. Three years after the making of the documentary, he will go on to accidentally kill three or four people at a retreat uh, <laughs> through oh, his man. teachings. Oh, but the, but the thing is, he, he actually believed they yeah. could yeah. fly. <laughs> he wished for it to happen, and it yeah. did. Yeah, so there you go. Proof positive. <laughs> Well, maybe it'll make you feel better to know this movie only made a uh, $65 million at the box office. <laughs> the Secret was released uh, in theaters? Yeah, it shows, it says Holy $65 million at the box office. Yeah, I figured it was like a direct-to-video thing that they sold. I think it's like one of those things where like every now and then I look at what's in theaters and it's like one of those like... Um, God's not dead eight. God, yeah, right. Where and it's like and like the box office is like four hundred sixty million dollars. God's like, not dead fuck? eight. He might be dead now. We need to check. <laughs> and it's like left behind twelve, and it's like made seven hundred million dollars. And you're like, oh shit! But you've never seen one commercial for it because it only plays at like mega churches. So, <laughs> so you know, it's it's probably one of those. Last thing Linton I yeah. want to say about it is just that. Uh, well, you need you uh, need to get your shots in because like yeah, I I, do. I, well, I I don't think you'll ever find anyone else who's wanting to talk no. to you about the secret movie, <laughs> or if you do, you probably won't want to talk to them. Well, now I'm gonna want to talk to them because I'll just rip them apart. But uh, as you and I were having the phone conversation, my wife laughed her ass off. <laughs> she and actually my daughter too was making fun of me. It was it was it was it was great. 
So, Fantastic. So <clears throat> yes, I uh, I I got Jason's messages and I thought like, oh, we're like an hour before the show. He's just fucking around. But I saw that it was a message and a phone call, and I was like, well, that's really taking it fairly far um, <laughs> for the joke. And I was like, I better check. And then I was like, so are you fucking with me or what? And he's like, are you fucking with me? And I was like, well, no, you need to answer my question. Did you watch The Secret? (laughs) And we went back and forth like an Abbott and Costello routine for about 20 seconds. And then I was like, no, that's not the movie you were supposed to watch. I sent you a file. (laughs) Well, the the headline here, Linton, is that if you tell me something, I'll do it. And, so, and, and, and see, the thing is, that was my secret. I, I self-actualized <laughs> it, and I made it happen. Uh. <laughs> All right. So wrapping up here, uh, would you recommend The Secret and or Planet of the Vampires? 100% I would recommend this movie. I, I, I think... Uh, the Secret. The Secret, yes. <laughs> I'm running to Netflix right after this to watch it. <laughs> Is it I, on I, there? It says yeah, it is. Yeah, that's where yeah. I watched it. <laughs> yeah. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah. But that's why when you sent me the link, I was like, dude, I've got Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, I can do this. I uh, I would say, you know, I mean, God, if you have any affiliation or, uh, you know, affinity, actually, for uh, sci-fi or um, the Alien series, which, like, if you don't, kindly fuck you. Um, but <laughs> if you don't um, chew big red, then fuck you. <laughs> oh, who boy. Um, I, you know, Steve, I, I think it's your, like, like third bout of COVID. I don't even know anymore. I, I just, I just assume it's <laughs> eternal COVID. Um, it's that new strain. The, it's it's a it feels like kind of like a seminal piece of sci-fi uh that like we've mentioned like 30 things that were probably influenced by it so if you have any sort of like if you like anything about sci-fi if you like the history of it if you like anything in the genre now it's cool it, it it's a it's a fun watch there's so much to pull from it and enjoy that um it kind of feels like one of those things that like it would complete your or add you know really add to your sort of like knowledge of the history uh, of it and it's an impressive movie for 1965 I, I think it's i think it's like pretty visually stunning for its time and for no money yes eric uh yeah i would for those same reasons recommend if if, if you're into sci-fi or just movies that look cool and bright um and i think this one probably doesn't get enough credit as being as influential as it is um i think a movie like Forbidden Planet gets a lot of credit for being hugely influential, and I feel like this is similar, but it's influencing a lot more uh, more darker sci-fi that people like in everything that came after it. So I think it's a cool one to watch and experience. Jason? Yeah, I'll agree with everything that was said, and that it was... Uh, what I did see was so great, I'll, I'll definitely re- re-watch it. And if you're an alien fan or fanatic it's cool to see its roots it almost feels like alien was a reimagining of it but like way better so yeah that was really cool and i uh just from the like the laughs and grins of my family walking through the room as i was watching it and if you know if you think it's cheesy it's just as fun i feel like it could go either way i don't feel like i feel like either you'll laugh at it 
and like think it's hysterical, or you'll really enjoy it for the sci-fi element. So absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, for myself, I'd recommend it. Uh, it's not one that I own, but it's not like preposterous that I think there are people who would like to own it. Um, the visuals are pretty stunning, as we said, especially for the budget. I can only imagine how much better they could have made it look if this had been like a higher level production. With the they did, it's called Alien. Yes. I mean, <laughs> but a- Alien isn't bright and colorful. Alien is like the same shot of blue and black all the time. Not to not to force a fight right at the end of this, but inside the inside the ship, the Nostromo, it's very bright. Yes, so yes. A- Alien true. has both, both. Alien has both light and darkness. And dark. you're, you're correct, Jason. No, I. I mean, Alien is clearly a much better film. It's much better overall. I mean, it's made by like a complete like master of, if nothing else, a master of visuals in Ridley Scott. Um, but obviously it's like a seminal film for sci-fi and horror and you put them next to each other and, and absolutely alien is the stronger film. I mean, even if you really like Baba's visuals here, the character work in it, like you like characters and aliens, they're interesting characters. I mean, Ash's speech about, I admire its purity is better than anything in this film on a character level by far. Um, you know, you like Ellen Ripley, you, you're rooting for people, you love the alien as a creepy monster. So yeah, like there's so much more going on in Alien that you can get into. That said, uh, the visuals are, the I would say, the biggest selling point. The connections to those later works are another thing. There's just some cool moments, like, like we talked about the giant, um, you know, alien skeleton. It's just an inherently pretty cool idea for 1965. Like, it's not the kind of thing, like, a lot of times it would be like, oh, there was must have been an ancient race here, and then you just wouldn't see bodies, you wouldn't see anything. It's like, so not only did they have, like, a corpse, but it, they, like, made this, like, enormous prop that, like, looks, I don't know, the head is, like, what was the size of, I don't know, like a child swimming pool or something? It's, like, it's it's pretty big, or, like, a, like a, a tire on a semi-truck or something, so, like... Yeah. So they make like this really crazy kind of prop and it's just kind of an out there thing that a lot of things at the time wouldn't have tried or, you know, would have done a sanitized version of it. And then we talked about the darker ending and maybe that's because of its European roots. I bet if this was an American production, it would have been like, and yes, and we saved the day and all aliens have been destroyed by war bonds. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so like, I think there's a, the movie has a lot going for it in certain ways. And then where it's hurt most, I think is just the kind of like character level and dialogue level where you just can't really get attached to these people, you know, and then the aliens themselves are these floating non entities and then they take over people's bodies. So you don't have a creature like you do an alien and you don't have the effects like you have in the thing. The thing obviously takes over people's bodies, but then you have all that amazing effects work when it transforms or gets found out or whatever. Um, so you don't have like all the things that you love from those later movies, but you definitely can see the roots to how some of these filmmakers could have gotten there. And I'm not surprised when I hear, like you said, Jason, that Carpenter, uh, likes Baba and, uh, apparently particularly this film 
But yeah, so if you only know Baba for his horror stuff, I've never been a particular fan uh, of him, but this is like one that I, I do enjoy more so. I think this movie's worth tracking down. And like I said earlier in the episode, if nothing else, it's just kind of a cool thing to have on in the background and just like have the visuals going. So if you were doing like a sci-fi theme party or something like this and like Forbidden Planet and a few other things of that era were just like, oh, there's some cool visuals and robots and shit in the background. Like, it just kind of like looks cool. But I do think it's worth watching. And if you are a big alien fan, I think it's uh, kind of required viewing, just like when we watched Secret of the Incas as our other pre-make. If you're a big Indiana Jones fan, uh, that movie, which is not particularly great, it's still really interesting to see how much they pulled from that to make a much better thing that we all love and have seen a billion times. All right, so that wraps us up for Planet of the Vampires. Coming uh, you know, past that, we have Can I Find This? So this movie is pretty widely available. It is on Paramount+, Plus, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Microsoft, Vudu, FlixFling, DirecTV, and others. Um, FlixFling? The uh, DVD... Yeah, I don't know. That was something that was on there. <laughs> Every the once hell? in a while, there'll be like... <laughs> yeah uh well, it's like that bit in uh office space like pc load letter error what the fuck does that mean um every once in a while i'll see like some other <laughs> new streaming platform that, that for one of these things and i was like i don't know what this is but i guess it's real i guess somebody's bankrolling this um this movie is also available on dvd and blu-ray but it looked like both might be out of print currently because the prices were like fairly high I mean, you could get a DVD copy on Amazon for like 35 which is pretty high for a DVD these days. And then the Blu-ray was like 100 bucks or something. So you might be able to find like used copies or something somewhere. And sometimes certain presses will like do re-releases. So if you're interested, if you like it, um, you know, just keep an eye on it. Look around for copies. And then apparently The Secret can be found on Netflix and probably many other places. <laughs> and... Wherever your mother shops for thrift items, it probably can be found many, many thrift stores <laughs> yeah. around the country. Uh, video cassettes yeah. of The Secret. Probably cassettes. Dollar bins. From 2006. Yeah. They probably were still doing cassettes. Um, anyway, so that's uh, Can I Find This? Uh, a lot of options for Planet of the Vampires. And then the last thing here, we will be back next time. I already mentioned this earlier in the episode. We will be looking at Ace in the Hole which is a Kirk Douglas movie from the 1950s, and it is a very dark, kind of cynical media satire and has elements of film noir. And it uh, did not do well at the time, but is now hailed as uh, kind of a classic or minor classic of its day, directed by Billy Wilder. So we have a new crew, and we will be looking at Ace in the Hole. So join us then. <laughs>